So this was really interesting because the backstory is that Haynes second quarter earnings report last week. That quarterly report, terrible. And that is not a surprise. We could get into a little bit of that. But amidst the bad numbers, Haynes also gave more disclosure of a cybersecurity attack it had previously announced May, right after the thing happened. In this edition of Compliance in the Weeds, Tom Fox and Matt Kelly take a deep dive into the recently announced disclosure by Haynes Brands of a loss of $100 million in profits from a cybersecurity breach. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another live recording of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up a blog post that Matt wrote last week and the facts around the Haynes brand cyber attack. So, Matt, first of all, welcome back. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. So, Matt, we had a massive cyber breach at Haynes brand. Lots of interesting aspects to this. I think we'll probably be learning more about this matter. But what struck you at this point about this matter? So, this was really interesting. Because the backstory is that Haynes, its second quarter earnings report last week, that quarterly report, terrible. And that is not a surprise. We could get into a little bit of that. But amidst the bad numbers, Haynes also gave more disclosure of a cybersecurity attack it had previously announced May, right after the thing happened. But most disclosures see from companies about cybersecurity attacks, they are actually privacy breaches. The company ends up reporting, we suffered this breach, we lost this many mirrors, and it's going to cost us this much money to fix everything. And that's not what we saw with Haynes. They have a privacy breach. They had a ransomware attack where they order fulfillment system knocked offline for three weeks, and therefore they lost about $100 in set for the quarter, $100 million that did not happen. We rarely see disclosures like this about a ransomware attack where you're not talking about new revenue you never received because your operations were tied in the knots. So that under itself is worth looking at. And because the SEC has these proposed new rules for disclosing cybersecurity, this is very instructive for if you did suffer in Haynes, and we all know a lot of companies do, and they're not saying much about it right now, but if you did, how would you think through questions of materiality and internal controls and what is or is not an effective internal control and how you should be thinking through a lot of these issues with 
these new forthcoming cybersecurity disclosures that CC is going to adopt sometime soon. I don't know when, but that's coming. So for various reasons, the Haynes case is really interesting for compliance officers, CISOs, and audit executives. Think through how would you navigate these sort of issues. Matt, the, certainly the headline grabber was the $100 million in lost sales. What struck me as significant about this matter initially was that we had, for the first time, uh, a very early reported above the line or top of the line loss, and that was the $100 million in sales, not a cost afterwards. But also, this was not the first report by Haynes on their breach. They had previously reported it as well. And the question that I immediately had when I saw the headline last week was one that you addressed in your blog post was, is it appropriate or at what point, and here I'm referring to the proposed SEC regulations, when will it be appropriate to report a cybersecurity breach, i.e. when does it become material? Within four days of the breach, how would you know? You walked through some proposed calculations. Could you tell us how you thought through that issue? Sure. So what Haynes did do was, according to its SEC filings, the Rant Act, they discovered it on May 24th. By one week later, on May 31st this year, they disclosed very briefly, we have a cybersecurity attack. It is a ransomware attack. We are investigating the implications. And that was pretty much all the disclosure from May. But it happened about seven days after the attack was discovered. Now, fast forward to, I think it was August 11th was the date of the 10 filing. They announced it was a ransomware attack, disrupted our supply chain operations. Our fulfillment, our order fulfillment were down for three weeks. It cost us $100 million in revenue, $5 million lost in operating profit, cents cut from our share. So some pretty fulsome disclosure, but it came several months after that initial news that we have this happening. If you do, Haynes reported $1.5 billion in sales for the quarter. And they said the ransomware attack cost about $100 million. It implies that they would have $1.6 billion. They lost $100 million because of the ransomware. The math, that means the ransomware attack cut their projections by 6.2% for the quarter. That is the material item, period. 6.2 is an enormous percentage for anything. Material loss could probably be somewhere as 1% or 2%, depending on exactly how you fuss over the details. But a breach or a rank of that nature, of that magnitude, that is material, should be disclosed. However, that's not actually what SEC rules. Right now, you have to disclose these things when they are material and it's vague when you should disclose it, but certainly by the time the next 10Q rolls around. That's what Haynes did. But under the proposed rules, you would have to disclose within four days of deciding that the attack material, not four days from when the attack happened. So you wouldn't have to disclose all that stuff on May 28th because it happened on May 24. Figuring all of that out in four days is probably going to be very difficult for a lot of companies. But Four days after you realize, oh, crap, this is material, that's when you would have to file a disclosure not like what we saw in the 10Q. It was, what, nearly three months later or 10 weeks later. But what they did put in the 10Q on August 11th was actually pretty on point for what he wants to see. How did it happen? Roughly 
Is it still ongoing? No, it's not. Are you still remediating? I think yes, we're. How much do the cost? Probably hundred million. There's a checklist that the SEC would like you to see, and they they nailed much. But it was ten weeks after they had this thing. If you think it through, looking at a material loss in sales, we'll be able to see that we think this is going to be our number for the sales for the quarter. Therefore, one or two percent of that would be material. You would wind up having to track what are the potential losses that you have for every hour you're sitting or every day or however you want to measure it. But some capability to figure out how much is somewhere costing me in operations I'm not executing. And as those losses start to tick up, eventually they're going to hit a threshold for, and I was expecting the report in another three months when I filed a 10Q, now it's material, and now you have four days to figure it all out. That's the sort of challenge you are going to encounter very quickly once the C does adopt these rules. And I do think they're pretty much going them the way they're proposed. I haven't heard anybody anything different yet. So you're going to need several capabilities of measuring what is material, what are your most important systems, how much revenue do they bring in, how much money are you losing through if they're down, all sorts of little calculus equations you're going to need to start running. That's what's going to have to be necessary to achieve the cybersecurity disclosure that we're all hoping to see. So Matt, one other issue that came up for me, and it was re-emphasized to me in your blog post, uh, was you talked about several of the different corporate functions which would need to be involved to gather this information, make the decision, then make the appropriate disclosure. And I've worried or at least thought about how holistically companies need to view or review these matters. Should IT be in the room with compliance, in the room with legal, in the room with HR, in the room with senior management, in the room with comms, and probably a whole host of others? Or do you simply see companies reporting up the chain, IT, up to the chief information security officer, or who then reports to the CEO, who then reports to the board, who then... Uh, instructs the CEO to take action up and down the chain. Any real thoughts on a holistic approach, or do you still get the sense that corporations are very siloed in this data and information, and so it's making it cumbersome to analyze and then report it? Certainly, yeah, I think that is the case. And Tom, you're talking about people reporting chain and whatnot. At no point did you actually say, and then report it out to the investors in the world so we know what's going on. Let's not, investors are the ones who actually do own the company. And the whole point of the SEC's disclosure proposals is to keep these folks in the loop. So I do think that you start thinking that through as a company. And as much as we should have probably IT and legal and compliance and corporate comms in the room to figure out what to do after each, like to the right of the big boom and they actually need to be together and planning a lot out to the left of the room before the event ever. For example, like I said, you would need to know which systems are actually mission critical for what supports the income state revenue. If the hackers had knocked down Haynes corporate cafeteria for three weeks and everybody had to bring in their own food, yeah, that stinks. But ultimately, that's not going to cost you $100 million in sales. Maybe if they had locked out a 
R&D function for three weeks, would that cost $100 million in sales? Probably not. not. I don't know. Maybe they're designing some new pair of underwear or something. But I don't think that would really disrupt things right away. No. What are our most important systems? What vendors those providers are supporting that system? How important are they? And if they go down, do we lose $30 a minute in sales? Do we lose $5 a minute in sales? Is that a lot? You would need to talk with your finance team to remember what is an actual material amount. And let me just do that terrible cue that Haynes had thrown out. We lost $238 million in sales. That million in sales lower than the go period. There were other issues. Haynes was already going normal routine business issues that, like I said, they had they're going through some stuff. They had a terrible quarter. They're in transition. Sales were already going to be lower than the year ago period anyway. So they weren't exactly sure where sales were going. And if you don't know where sales are going, we'll get hard to figure out. So what's the material loss? Cyber event. So you'd need to keep track of all. And what are the actual materials based on where our financial projections are? And those projections are in flux. So you would have to think that through. There's a whole lot of stuff that would have to happen there to make sure that when the incident strikes and when the boom is, you are in position to get ahead of it or at least make sure that she is as small and minimal as necessary and no bigger. But that that's going to require thinking through what are our collaborations and processes and capabilities that we're going to have to figure out in order to meet these disclosures, or at the least, not subject to the SEC. Even if for whatever reason, the SEC never adopted these rules, there are going to be other parties who want to know what happened here, Haynes, or what happened to your business. I'm your customer. I'm your supplier private equity backer on board, I want to know what's going on. And they're not going to tell me for 10 weeks, for real, that's not going to be acceptable. So the more that any business can think of these capabilities you'll need, the better shape you're going in, whether it's to disclose to the SEC or to anybody else who has control pulling the purse strings or otherwise has you prepares that they want to know what's going on. That's why all of this matters. You articulated a long list of potential stakeholders that would want to know this information. Let me maybe zero in on one that came up for me when you went through that list, and that is suppliers. We typically think of suppliers as having to certify to an end-using customer, here Haynes, not Haynes customer, but Haynes itself, that they have an appropriate level of cybersecurity, they have a SOC 2 certificate, their employees have been trained, variety of different cybersecurity standards that could be put in place. What if you're a supplier and your customer, once again, Haynes or other manufacturer, sustains a breach? Do you as a supplier then begin to ask questions of that customer? Could you, your breach somehow impact us if it got back to us? Do we need to now assess your cybersecurity capabilities as well? Quite potentially. Yes, it would depend on your exact TP, people will call it dependencies, your software systems and your customers. When Target suffered its famous breach in 2013, that happened because somebody had hacked into the HVAC system vendor that Target used and then went there because they had electronic bill pay and they went from the HVAC system system into Target's financial system. In theory, that would go both ways. So 
you could wind up wondering, are they going to hack into Haynes systems that then would somehow me and my shipping in order? That's a possibility. More pressing for some suppliers and practically is just if, what if your customer can take delivery of your stuff three weeks? What if it's perishable? Are you going to then ship it to somebody else, another customer of yours, and you'll maybe send your raw there? And then if you're Haynes, what do you do three weeks later when the loading bays, but now your supplier has taken all your goods and sent them to somebody who actually could ex- take uh, could accept them? And there's all sorts of operational ways that this could be very sticky. But yeah, totally suppliers would be somebody who would have some questions to ask here. Up to and are we the ones responsible for this? We were hacked. We didn't know it, but we were just the vector to the Haynes because they're a bigger company that could pay. But there's a lot that we don't know about what this attack actually was and how it happened. And that brings me to the, my next point. Any sense, hint, or other intel around how this attack may have occurred? No, yet. Other than to say it disrupted the supply chains. But we don't know. This happened because a Haynes employee for a phishing attack and implement the, the malware directly happened because somebody hacked into one of Haynes or tech vendors who had, did they forget to patch software? Did Haynes forget to patch its own software? We have no idea. But Tom, the, that I would want to bring up, you know, first I should say, we don't know as a member of the public. It's not clear if Haynes has or hasn't got a good sense of how this attack happened, but they haven't actually, but for the rest of the risk and audit and audience, the point that I wanted to bring up was just, imagine if the Haynes attack happened in the physical world. What would that look like? It would look like a couple of thugs changing on your warehouse and your loading bay, and then may- couldn't reopen the locks for three weeks, and you lose 100 million in sales. If that actually happened at a business, there would be so much hell to pay for the management team to start. Certainly the shareholders would sue. If you are, say, maker of retail goods like Haynes is, and you can't ship things to retail outlets, they're going to be unhappy. Maybe they're going to source their different competitor. I already mentioned if your suppliers stuff to the loading dock, they might just down to the next underwear and you don't have raw materials when you're finally ready for it. Customers might be unhappy. Suppliers might be. Investors will be unhappy. The audit firm that you have would probably say that is a material weakness in your inventory controls. Open the warehouse again. The audit committee would certainly want to have the management team impaled on the front lawn because if the audit committee didn't do that, shareholders would do that to the audit committee next annual meeting. There may be there are going to be regulators who are getting involved. Might being that this would be a total mess in the physical world, this sort of attack. Nobody would stand for it. The thing that we need to think through today, because as we digitally transform all of our business processes, don't think it's going to be a very much longer before an attack like this happens in the digital world, where it'll look a lot like this. And there's still going to be held. There's still going to be bunches of people saying, how did this happen? Where did the consequences who thought this was a good cybersecurity system in the first place? Trolls. Where were the auditors testing it? Those kind of issues are going to get more and more, t- I think, in times to come. We're going to have some real issues to think through, just designal controls. 
the cost of this, I think I, I saw a statistic last week where we're getting close to almost $100 million in cost, total cost, per cyberware attack. Even if it's half of that, $50 million, that's still a significant cost. But here, as I started off with, and the thing that struck me about this matter was the $100 million was above the That's not money you can ever get back. That's not money you can reserve for. That is gone, and that impacts literally all of the stakeholders in an organization, even if it's just one stakeholder, the shareholders, or it's a variety of stakeholders as laid out by the uh, business roundtable. So a lot to learn from this. I've really thought the way you helped us think through some of the questions on reporting, some of the other questions we explored in this podcast on how to prepare for and then report every compliance professional needs to study. And once again, I think this is a matter we might be well visiting in the future, Matt. I think we will, because I don't think ransomware is going away. Hey, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I've linked to Matt's blog post on this subject matter in our show notes. I'd like to tell you about a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Corruption Files, where with my co-host, Mike DeBernardis, partner at Hughes Hubbard, we take a look at some of the most significant FCPA and international anti-corruption enforcement actions over the past 15 years in the modern era of anti-corruption and FCPA enforcement. It's a great retrospective on some of the most significant enforcement actions. So check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network. The Corruption Files. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.